Welcome to the new healthcare economy where everyone wins for a change. Employers, consumers, primary care physicians, outcomes, shareholders, even our communities all win with costs dropping 20 to 60%. This unstoppable direct contracting movement bypasses the big middles with their crooked game boards, devious rule book, rigged dice, and purchased referees. I'm Rob Barshop, and I'm glad you're here. Well, before I introduce you all to Jeff today, I want to shout out to the brother and sisterhood, my other DPC scalers who are listening here. And here's where I insert the deep sigh. Folks, use Marathon Health as your website model in transparency for employers and docs and members. This kind of success metric transparency is beyond impressive, and it should be the norm. No, they're not a sponsor. It's not a college roommate. You know, I'm not sleeping with anybody there. I'm clicking my heels for reals. And I'm from Texas, so let's be plain. Don't make us outlanders dig so hard for your metrics. Stop hiding those metrics, guys. There's 100 million employees out there with self-funded employers. And over two-thirds of them are married. So we're really talking 160 million members out there. And wait a minute, a few of them have a kid or two. So there's plenty of addressable market out there. Stop with the I spy secrecy on your websites. We have too much to do to cure primary care and this magnificent way of expanding it. And so we will heal the greater healthcare by extension with a lot more transparency. So even if the worst DPC sucks of everybody listening and none of y'all do, everybody wins with this model because the losers are basically every key player in legacy care. The docs are losing the... You think Nurse Redonda is an example of that? We all lose as consumers. The employers are losing. The costs are losing. Outcomes are losing. Lose, 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 lose. The only winners in legacy care are the suits and the shareholders and the startups who have a nice exit. You think customer experience is below 50% for a reason in legacy care? Factory care sucks for everyone. The nicest home in a rat-infested, mold-infiltrated neighborhood is still unlivable. The sick care model dependent on volume is hammering our economy, our state, municipal, and school budgets, our personal finances, and PCPs at 50% burnout. Well, that's a net promoter score, isn't it? The bigs today won't dare measure net promoter score from their docs and their nurses because it might leak out. Lions and tigers and burnout, oh my. And employers will surge out of legacy care in the next 18 to 24 months. Thank you, CAA, the Consolidated Appropriations Act. And here's the two cool reasons why I learned from a previous guest. The advisors now have to disclose up to 17 hidden fees they got in these plans, these self-funded plans. There's millions of dollars they've gotten under the table in commish. You think that's going to shake it up a bit for these upset CFOs when they discover millions of dollars? Those recovered millions all drop to the bottom line. And should I repeat that, folks, because it's important? The top line of brokers now shifts to the bottom line of woken up self-funded employers. I didn't say woke, I said awakened. So there are two reasons I said, here's the second one. The employers now have a fiduciary responsibility, just like they do with their pension responsibilities. 
They've now got to go out there and find high value, low cost healthcare. Bingo, DPC is really today behavioral and OC health and virtual health all bundled together with primary care. So it's a widely defined expansion of what we call primary care. Omnichannel is the word that private equity loves to use and venture capital loves to use in its corporate speak. But employers should hear this word instead of omnichannel, instead of omnichannel word salad. We got you covered. We are a movement 30 million strong, guys. That is not only more viewers than all the news channels combined on television, but it's about the same number as viewers who listen and watch to the final four and the NBA finals combined. So let's grow this movement and not trip over our competitive fears of each other. Because if I interview you and you say we can't talk about it, you know what you come off as being someone who's hiding something. So stop it, please. Even if you've got bad numbers, they're better than all the rest out there of the folks in legacy. Look, the big boxes have broken models, feeding you with white coats and MAs dying to jump ship. They know the rats are on the ship and they're sinking. Just stop, okay, my friends? We are all compadres in a movement with no name. We have no Gandhi. We have no association. We have no academic studies and no press. We are 30 million and we're in freaking stealth mode and it's not by our choice. No one cares because the media adores the bigs and their lobbies, their dramatic clickbait press feeds that are in a pandemic. Are their press agents so good? No, the bigs are feared and they lie, 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 lie. And they feed the press this propaganda like cotton candy and decimated investigative journalism seems to be the result the last couple of years. It just seems to be dying, dying, dying. Even 60 Minutes gave them a pass a couple of months ago because you stop big pharma ads and CBS News is going to suffer. Pharma ads to TV is like the crack cocaine that auto ads were to newspapers before they fled the web. They're oxygen, they're crack for a dying, aging audience who won't exist in 20 years. Haven't you heard? It's the rise of the amateur. You know, the enemy is not even the bigs, you guys. It's unchecked chronic disease and low value care, which is the enemy, and which gets a lot of lip service out there in the larger world, but not the high touch and the real love that DPC gives chronic disease and high value care. We can all agree, let's respect each other in this amazing model of direct care and lift your frickin' veil. Okay, I'm pleased to introduce to you today, Jeff Wells, who's an MD. He's the CEO and co-founder of Marathon Health, a DPC of many flavors. Of course, they have behavioral. Of course, they've added occupational health. They also have labs and about 150 meds in their pharmacy. They offer for employers and unions to deliver on-site, near-site, and virtual advanced primary care. They're 800,000 members strong in 40 states and, and growing, and they're pushing 200 employers right now with over 700 providers on staff. And yes, Doc, they are hiring in your state. Wells, who earned his MD in internal medicine from IU, serious basketball territory, is the former director of Indiana's Office of Medicaid Policy and Planning. Jeff, welcome to the show. Any comments? Uh, well, Ron, first of all, uh, just really appreciate uh, the invitation uh, and, the, and the chance to talk today. So, uh, yeah, thank, thanks so much. Excited for the conversation. Well, good. So was I crystal clear that Marathon has something that nobody else seems to have out there? Uh, I, I think so. Um, and I agree wholeheartedly with, with your comments, uh, you know, in particular that 
uh, while there are a number of upstart, uh, really value-oriented uh, primary care providers, those looking for direct uh, sort of contracting, uh, you know, all of us, I think, are part of a really important movement, uh, to your point, uh, to sort of go against uh, the, the low-value traditional legacy model uh, that, that's, you know, to your point, been really harming, I think, all of us uh, across the United States, uh, not only kind of economically with an enormous drag, uh, just broadly speaking, uh, but to your point, the human side of this. Uh, we we uh, have a really unhealthy uh, society in general, uh, and the current system has just you know, not been set up to deliver well-being. Uh, and that's something that we're really, really passionate about. You know, I, I'm going to imagine, Jeff, that in your offering, your CEOs and your doc workers have the same offering. You don't have a special carve-out executive benefit for the uh, you know, the top dogs in these companies that hire you, do you? That's exactly right. I think, you know, years ago, as I was part of, of starting the organization, you know, you, you kind of were familiar with the idea of executive health or concierge practices that could provide uh, uh, direct access to a really high value, personalized primary care model, but it was only really available uh, to high net worth individuals and families, or, you know, as you mentioned, executives at companies and uh, I was personally passionate in our organization was about, you know, how do you take that exact same model, but make it available to everybody. Um, and, and we thought in partnership with employers uh, that candidly care deeply about the well-being of their employees and families, um, as well as having economic self-interest, right? It's one of the, you know, the, the largest uh, expenses that the companies uh, are bearing the burden of. Uh, and so we thought through that partnership, we actually could make a model like this available uh, to everybody. Um, and we're really excited that we've been able to do so for, you know, going on 15 years. So everybody's on the red carpet, everybody's in the skybox in every company you serve. There's no special treatment. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the return on investment because that jumped out at me the most on your site. Again, I wish everybody listening would put this on their site is year one, year two, year three ROI for the employer, because that's just such a simple story. Um, can you talk a bit about that? Yeah, so I really start with like our core vision um, is just around this idea that how do we break down uh, barriers, make it extraordinarily easy for a given consumer, a given patient uh, to connect with a trusted primary care team and then have that team be truly accountable to outcomes that actually matter to people, right? And so how do you think about uh, improving experience? How do we think about holding ourselves accountable to actually improving health outcomes, uh, better management of chronic conditions, lowering risk, improving quality of life uh, from a self-rated health point of view? And then to your point, actually lowering the cost of care, making it more affordable. Mm -hmm. So for a member that's engaged with Marathon Health, uh, what we tend to see is about a $2,000 per year savings for that member compared to a similar individual who's not engaged with Marathon Health. And then if you look on the average employer that we work with, we tend to engage about 40%, and it's actually even higher for their high risk members. It's actually uh, north of 50%. So then you add all that up uh, on average for an employer, right? By the end of the first year, kind of heading into the second year, they're getting a net return on the overall investment and kind of by the end of year two, uh, very frequently, we start to approach a two to one ROI. So your, what is your monthly membership fee for Oc Health, Behavior Health, um, on-site care? What does that look like? 
Yeah, it certainly can vary a little bit, uh, but I'd say on average uh, for an employer uh, that's got, you know, sort of our average engagement level, it's going to range in about that $50 kind of, uh, you know, per employee per month range. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I want to talk about who wins in your model because you're, it's all on your website. I don't have to dig in this interview for it and beg for it like I do in some other interviews. But so when we know your subscription fee, we also know your renewal rate is 98%. I don't know that it gets better than 98%. Yeah, something we're really proud of. Uh, I think as we sit down with these employers, uh, you know, it, it truly is a partnership. Um, if you think about it, you know, uh, individuals spend more of their waking time, um, you know, kind of at work. And, and even through COVID, you know, people may change a little bit where you work, if you're working from home or hybrid, uh, you know, as opposed to going to a factory or, or working in a, you know, a plant or something like that. Uh, but the influence that the employer has, both positive and potentially negative to an individual's health and even that of their family cannot be understated. And so I think as we come together with these employers, we really want to get aligned and figure out you know, how can we work together uh, to sort of create a different kind of approach, uh, sort of co-promote, you know, make this easier for, for individuals to access. Um, and I think that's just been like a really powerful component. And then your net promoter score from your members is pushing 90. Um, I guess you're always working on getting those numbers up to get to the, you know, the higher numbers, but 90 compared to say big hospital systems in the thirties to fifties, they don't even produce them because they don't want anybody seeing them, but 90 is not bad compared to uh, the market out there. Yeah. Uh, we're really, again, proud of that. Um, I think what's even more important, right? Because to your point, the, the, the legacy system's so bad that, you know, anything better than that, uh, people tend to react really positively to. So I spend more of my time, not even looking at the, at the number itself, but uh, we collect qualitative comments back. We survey patients after every encounter with us. And that's where I learn the most in sort of figuring out, okay, are there things we can do in our scheduling experience to reduce friction and make it easier? Um, are there aspects of our operational workflow that are uh, inconvenient uh, for patients and we could do something about, you know, uh, what are the things that people value the most? And it tends to be more time with the provider my, you know, the physician I work with really listened to me and personalized my care, working with that behavioral health counselor, you know, they, they really got to know me and we built trust, like, uh, you know, people helping save money with referrals. Those are the things that really stand out and I think help us understand where to, you know, sort of focus more and invest more. Look, if somebody's borderline chronic or actually chronic with hypertension or diabetes or COPD or any of those uh, lifestyle diseases, they have not had access to a doctor or a PA for a long time because they've had this deductible hurdle. They've had this time hurdle. Uh, they haven't, they haven't been heard. And finally they can have a little bit of hope that they can actually not only spend time with a PCP, but they can get more than one visit because they're going to have virtual access. Yeah. Uh, I remember, you know, uh, commenting once that in the traditional model uh, to sort of make it work in a volume-based uh, system, you know, you're, you're spending maybe seven minutes, you know, with a patient and in particular primary care, like time is the single most important uh, sort of asset that, that one has, like the ability to make uh, really thoughtful decisions on, Hey, what's going on? What do we do next? The ability to build that trusted relationship that actually influences behavior change, which when we look at the majority of chronic conditions, ultimately that's what it comes down to is how do we as providers 
enable, empower a patient to make a change in their life, right? To, mm -hmm. uh, you know, eat healthier, work out more, uh, better manage a condition, you know, better manage one's stress and like influencing where someone seeks specialty care as a next step in a journey. Mm -hmm. Like all of that you can only do when you create the space uh, and allow for more time to do that. And so like, that's the way the model has been designed. Okay. I want to give you an opportunity to I'm not a doctor, but to sell me on why I should join your company. Apparently you have 93% provider retention, which again is a remarkably amazing number. Um, how, what is your recruiting message to attract white coats? Yeah, uh, so we have a really passionate focus at Marathon Health around our ambassador first culture. So uh, our employees are referred to as ambassadors and it's candidly, it's really that being a true ambassador on behalf of, of this mission, uh, to serve both the employers we work with, but really the patients. And like at the individual level, we've created and designed a model that I think uh, is seeking to restore joy and purpose and meaning um, back into the practice of medicine. Uh, we've created a model that allows for, for physicians, for nurse practitioners or physician assistants, uh, behavioral health counselors, right, to spend more time with patients and really focus on improving well-being and outcomes, eliminating you know, as much effort and time around paperwork and administrative hurdles and insurance approvals, like that's just getting in the way of building a relationship, uh, serving a patient in a way that, that fundamentally transforms lives. And like that core purpose comes first in our organization. Culture is very important. Uh, we believe really strongly in autonomy, right? Like I, I don't know what the right thing to do is to serve, you know, a very specific patient on a specific day, uh, you know, uh, in, you know, sort of Dallas, as opposed to, you know, what's right for a different patient on a different day in you know, uh, Burlington, Vermont. Um, and so I think that combination of, you know, uh, a purpose led culture, more time in a, in a clinical model that's really focused on outcomes and um, building relationships with patients, and then autonomy are the keys to success on that side. You know, you worked in Medicaid as a leader and uh, in the state of Indiana, Indiana, and doctors in Medicaid can't serve their calling because they are in factory medicine by the very nature of how they're paid. So this must be kind of refreshing for you to step into this new world. Uh, it is very much so. I think the challenge in the traditional model uh, is twofold. One, uh, as you've already pointed out, the, the reimbursement model, the only way to really make it work is to sort of increase volume, which runs counter to everything about good primary care and driving real patient outcomes. Uh, but secondly, most practices are trying to serve multiple masters at the same time and different payers, Medicare, Medicaid, uh, TRICARE, uh, all sorts of different commercial payers or you know, self-pay. Uh, in, in many cases, each of those different payers are trying to create different rules on what you have to do, how you have to operate, what data you have to collect to, to get paid to serve those patients. In our model, we've consolidated it. So there's one model. There's sort of one way of working with the employers and the patients that we serve. So it dramatically simplifies the operational workflow and therefore the experience for our clinical teams. You know, I used to greet my employees with mission, vision, value conversations and and when I, when I started DPC four years ago, um, I would, the conversation shifted automatically to, have you taken Rodrigo to, you know, DPC for the pink eye instead of that stupid Medicaid clinic you have to wait at all day? And they said, well, it's just too good to be true. It's free. You know, it sounds too good to be true. What is, 
what is the number one reason why when you're sitting in a cafeteria and doing a health screening for free for you know a brand new company why are they saying no to free i don't get it yeah um it, you know it's a it's a really good question and what i found is the, the main inhibitor to sort of members that are eligible to use our service not to is just a lack of awareness um, and so that's one of the key things we try to do is drive it because once the individual's aware uh, that we exist and sort of the model and to your point that it's either free or very low cost for that individual patient or their family to use us, uh, they, they come right in. And more importantly, they come back, right? So we have a really high return uh, visit rate uh, for members and they actually, you know, tend over a course of time, even those that might uh, have, you know, if you asked them like, hey, do you have a, a primary care provider, you know, sort of in the traditional system? A lot of people will answer yes, but when you look at it, they're really just going to the ER or urgent care, um, or in other cases, you know, people are closing practices or it's difficult to get in. And so they oftentimes will transition their care just because the experience uh, overall and then ultimately the outcomes uh, are better. Uh, and so I think that's, we don't, you know, our goal, if someone's got an established relationship, um, is just to augment that and, and 100% not try to intervene or disrupt. Like there's, in my view, nothing more important uh, than a really healthy uh, patient provider relationship in a primary care context. And so if that exists, we'll support it. But more often than not, in most of the areas where we work, uh, there's people that just don't have one at all, or it's not really meeting their needs in a, in a highly functional way. Um, so Jeff, have you had the opportunity, y'all been around for um, 12 years, to see any employers that are using this newfound savings that you've created for them in any interesting ways, adding more benefits for the employees, maybe doing something more, you know, for their communities. I mean, I, I'm, I'm interested in community benefits as well as the obvious outcome and cost benefits. Yeah. Yes. So I think from an employer point of view, you know, behind wages, uh, really their cost of benefits almost always is the, the second uh, highest expense and it's really inefficient today. I think all of us would be supportive, you know, whether you're an employer or an employee, right, uh, of the company making investments if it's driving like real improvement in health and well-being and productivity, and uh, we can then take that into our communities. But more often than not, the investment is really inefficient, and people actually aren't getting better. And so what we've seen is uh, as as people do improve their health and well-being, and then the companies start to realize the savings, they are reinvesting those dollars. And they do that really in one of two key ways that we see. Uh, to your point first, it's usually into enhanced benefit offerings to better meet the needs. So like the last two years, uh, the majority of the employers we work with have increased their support and investment in behavioral health, just realizing the burden of the pandemic and the challenges that we've all been under. And so more often than not, we're seeing employers uh, sort of increase their access and effort, and we're doing this in, in many cases to you know, better manage stress, depression, anxiety, um, chronic pain, and so forth. Uh, also on other chronic conditions like musculoskeletal with an, an investment in things like physical therapy that's more accessible and beneficial. Um, we're doing a lot with virtual care delivery and so forth. Uh, the other thing we've seen is employers that are saving money on benefits are repurposing that actually back into wages. And in the current, uh, you know, the market today and just with inflation going up, uh, we're seeing a number of our clients sort of uh, repurpose those dollars to, to just pay people more, um, realizing that that's really important right now. 
you know, the Fed gives for any economic stimulus, federal stimulus, a 1.5 uh, multiplier ratio on dollars kept in the community. So if they're already getting a raise because they have no deductible, no premium or low deductible, low premium, and if they're now getting a raise with this thing you just said, um, the communities are benefiting measurably uh, in a way that could be calculated. I mean, I don't think it would take a very bright economist or you know, deep digging economist to figure out the measurable benefit of DPC on companies that reinvest uh, with better, better wages, lower premiums, lower deductibles. That's not a hard math question. I think that's exactly right. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about your ideal customers. There's sort of a sweet spot y'all hit. Do you go for certain, you know, this number to this number of employees that is your sweet spot? Yeah. So the first thing I always emphasize is I think employers or uh, labor groups, you know, unions, other other health plan administrators uh, that are focused on people and culture uh, and sort of see real strategic value in their human capital uh, is probably the most important filter. And thankfully, most organizations across the country, I think, fall into that bucket. Uh, but to me, uh, those are going to be the organizations that um, are going to be sort of the best uh, and most successful partners that we work with. Beyond that, though, uh, we've really evolved our model uh, to be pretty flexible to meet the needs of a diverse uh, set of employers. So uh, if you think about um, parts of the economy that are uh, you know, manufacturing or you know, industrial food production, agriculture, where you know, uh, individuals are coming to a work site with density. We have an on-site uh, model. We, we build out an on-site health center and the, the team is right there. Uh, that works really well for, you know, folks that fall into that camp. Um, at the same time, there might be more uh, distributed organizations, professional services, uh, you know, in, in sort of more urban environments, let's say, where people might work from home in the office. And so we've developed what we call a, a real purpose-built network model. So we open a network of near-site primary care health centers in markets like Indianapolis or Charlotte, North Carolina, or Las Vegas, uh, to name a few. And that's something we're rapidly expanding across the U.S. And that's a really great way uh, for large distributed organizations or maybe smaller companies to access on like a shared basis. Mm-hmm. And then finally, we've really developed in the last uh, you know 18 months or so uh, a, a dedicated virtual primary care health center. And it's not like the Teladoc or the MD Live, you know, sort of traditional, uh, sort of more acute care telemedicine services, uh, but it's, it's true primary care relationship-based continuity of care with a broad scope of services, including behavioral health, uh, sort of concierge care navigation uh, intended to manage chronic conditions. Uh, and that team's actually licensed in all 50 states and so we can serve more remote or distributed populations uh, with, with that capability. Okay. So my last real question before I get to two fake questions is you're going to be hitting 800,000 soon. What does your company look like in three years? Would you guess in terms of number of members? Yeah. Um, I would expect us right to probably, you know, three X over that time horizon. Um, and for us, it's not just about, you know, kind of, uh, having a superficial level of engagement, but for us, it's really about in a fundamental and sustainable way, how do we transform, like truly transform, uh, you know, a million lives over the next three years. Okay, great. And um, if folks want to find you, Jeff, what's the best way to reach out? Yeah, I think uh, probably our website, which is, you know, marathon-health.com. 
www.ecosystemsmanagement.com uh, uh, would be the, the best way to get you know information and so forth and uh, kind of learn a little bit more. And if you could fly a banner over America with a single message, what would that say? Yeah, I would fly a banner uh, that said, if you're a self-insured employer today, ask yourself how you can more effectively get your members to high value primary care, in particular independent uh, primary care uh, as a way to drive both improved outcomes and actually save money. Really changes everything, doesn't it? I mean, there's no doubt that this fixes all the most of what ails healthcare in America. Uh, it is. Yeah. I can think of no single more important uh, objective. There you go. All right, Jeff, thank you. And um, we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you for listening. You want to shake things up? There's two things you can do for us. One, go to primarycarecures.com for show notes and links to our guests. And number two, Help us spotlight what's working in primary care by listening on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and subscribing and leave us a review. It helps our megaphone more than you know. Until next episode.